just to kind of fill uh, visitors in, this uh, was the meeting place of the Main Avenue campus of McLean uh, Bible Church, not Baptist Church, they're Baptist, but McLean Bible Church, the Baptist McLean Bible Church. So this was the Main Avenue campus, and uh, that, so part of this church plant was formed uh, by that campus combining together uh, with uh, another church, and we formed, uh, come together, and we're launching one new church called Pillar Church of Washington, D.C., and so we've just been continuing on in the one-year Bible reading plan, and so we've been preaching through the Bible. Uh, we are in the New Testament now, and um, when I found out the reading for the week that we were going to launch, I found this out a couple of months ago, I was blown away, and I was also like, okay, God, yep, that's pretty much typically you. Because uh, this week, uh, the, the reading was Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 to 6, which chronicles Jesus commissioning his disciples and the birth of the New Testament church. So the first post-resurrection missionaries are sent out and the first New Testament church is planted. That was our reading for this week. Didn't plan that. God did that. Pretty cool. So God kind of, uh, I think, made it very clear what he wants us to talk about this morning, uh, the word that he wants us to, to read and to teach on. It's hard to think of a more fitting way uh, to lead into this week than reading these passages. And, you know, there's... There's so many good texts I could have chosen out of Matthew 28 and Acts 1 to 6, but it's hard for me to pass up the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20, and so uh, I think that's quite fitting, and that's where we're going to be this morning. So we're coming here this morning celebrating the launch of a new church in Washington, D.C. And if you've been around for any length of time, you've likely heard us say that it's also our goal to send out our first church planting team by October 2020. We want to multiply. So what's the big deal with church planting? Why is there such a heavy emphasis on that? Why do we want to do that? In today's passage, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about church planting and how it actually matters quite a bit to you. It actually matters quite a bit to every single person in this room, even if you're not a Christian. In this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that Jesus has all authority. We're going to see that Jesus has given us an assignment. And we're going to see that Jesus has given us assurance. You may have noticed also there are sermon guides on your seats when you came in, so you can follow along and take notes with the outline uh, there. But let's go ahead and jump into the text, Matthew chapter 28. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Uh, The words will also be on the screen behind me, but if you do have a Bible, uh, you can turn there. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. I'll give you a moment to get there. This is the Word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I admit that apart from you, I can do nothing this morning. So I pray for your help. I pray that you would help me to do what's impossible to do out of my own talent, out of my own strength, which is to to preach the word of God. 
Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would fill me with your spirit right now. And God, I pray that you would also help us to listen because we can't listen to a sermon without the help of you, Holy Spirit, opening up our ears. So God, I pray that that right now, every single ear would be attentive to what you have to say this morning, that everything that we walked in here with, whatever's on our mind, whatever, whatever we're distracted with, thinking about football starting later today, God, I pray that we would set that aside. I pray that you would arrest our attention, that our eyes would be fixed upon you because you are worthy of all of our attention. You are worthy of all of our affection. God, I pray that every single person in this room would have a personal encounter with you today. That you would take even the hardest of hearts and melt them this morning. And that you would spur us as the church on into the harvest to go out to the highways and the hedges and to compel people to come into the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me set the stage and give you some context for the passage that we just read, right? Jesus has been crucified on the cross. He told his disciples multiple times that that was going to happen. He told them, I'm going to be rejected by the religious authorities. I'm going to be crucified. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. So his disciples, uh, despite the fact that Jesus told them that, don't understand what's going on. All they know is that their hope, their leader, their teacher, their, the one that they thought was the hope of Israel is dead. He's in the grave, and it's the third day that his body's been there. So on the morning of the third day, some of the women who also followed Jesus, also disciples of his, went to see the tomb. But Jesus wasn't there. In fact, the, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And here's what happened. Listen to verses 5 to 7 in Matthew 28. It says, An angel appeared and the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So Jesus, as I, as I just mentioned, had been telling his disciples that this would happen. Literally the night that Jesus was arrested, like at the Last Supper, as they're sitting at the Last Supper, Jesus told them exactly what would happen. Listen to Matthew 26. 31 to 32. So they're sitting at the Last Supper. This is moments before uh, Jesus is going to be betrayed. And, and it says, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Listen to this. It says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. <laughs> like that night, Jesus is like, All right, guys, I'm about to be killed. But I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you in a couple days in Galilee. Meet me there. That's crazy. So the women saw Jesus alive, and they ran to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. And when they went there, they saw Jesus alive. And when they saw him alive, they did only what would be natural. They worshipped him. No mere mortal can raise himself from the dead. Jesus called his shot. He told them he would die, and then he rose himself up from the dead. 
Jesus, and Jesus said multiple times he was going to do this. John chapter 10, verse 18, one of my favorite passages. Jesus told the disciples, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So even though there was still a sense of disbelief swirling around in the disciples' heads, it says that, that some were doubting. It doesn't mean that they, they didn't believe he was risen from the dead, but I mean, give the guys a break. You'd be kind of stunned too, right? If he was dead for three days, and all of a sudden he's standing in front of you, and you're like, am I, am I hallucinating? Is this real? And he says, but touch my hands. See the nail marks. He even asked him for some food. Hey, get, guys, can I have some fish? I'm kind of hungry. And he eats food, and he fellowships with them. But the disciples knew Jesus must be God in that moment because only God has power over death. And the next words out of the risen Jesus' mouth to the eleven are a big part of the answer to the question, what's the big deal with church planting? Listen to verse 18 again. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if you're following in your outline, this is point one. Jesus has all authority. Jesus is the risen king. And we plant churches because Jesus actually rose from the dead. He is God, and he is coming back to establish his kingdom. All of this has huge implications for every single person in this room and for everyone on the planet, starting right here in our neighborhood in southwest D.C. For starters, the, the fact that Jesus has authority over death is massive. All of us should pay attention to that. Do you know that scientists have discovered that 100 out of 100 people die? It's a universal problem. We, we all have it. And no one wants to die. Why is that? Why do we not want to die? Because it's not a part of God's original design. But death is the wages for our sin. It's what we have earned. It's what we deserve for our sin. It's the just response to our rebellion against the King. And Jesus has overcome it. So we plant churches because people need to know that. People need to know that, that there's one who has victory over death. And secondly, not only does Jesus have victory over uh, authority over death, He has authority over you and me. Even if you're not a Christian in here this morning, Jesus has authority over you. He is the King of Kings. And if you're not a Christian, this should cause you to fear and tremble to be honest with you this morning. This means you are accountable to Jesus. And up to this point, you have refused to submit your life to Him. In fact, we're surrounded by people all over Southwest D.C., all in the district, who have not submitted to Jesus' Lordship. But despite that, God loves us so much that instead of giving us what we deserve, the King left His throne in heaven and came and wrapped Himself in human flesh. And he came to earth to die on the cross in the place of sinners. Jesus died the death that we deserve, and then he rose from the dead. He sat back on his throne. He's seated on the throne now, and he is coming again. But next time, he's coming back as judge, and he's coming back to expel all evil and all the evildoers out of his kingdom. And he's giving people time to repent and receive his free gift of forgiveness Right now, we as the church are heralds of that message. We're called to go and to tell people. So we plant churches 
as ambassadors of the king to tell people, announce this message, because the flood of God's judgment on sin is coming, but the king offers amnesty to anybody, and it's a free gift. All you have to do is come. Anybody can come. That's not hard. You don't have to work for it. You just have to come. Come to the, to the waters and drink freely, Isaiah chapter 55 says. And we don't just get amnesty. It's not just amnesty. It's adoption as sons. Like not only are we pardoned, not only do we, are we not punished for our sin, not only does Jesus take the punishment in our place, but God adopts us into his family and we share in the inheritance of Jesus. He lavishes grace on us. And we've planted this church in southwest D.C. because people need to hear this good news. Jesus has also given us an assignment. It's the second point on your outline. Jesus has given us an assignment. What's that assignment? All of Jesus' disciples are commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. The assignment is for all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. So the truth that Jesus gives us to believe, the first point we just looked at, that Jesus has all authority, is the basis for the command that he gives us to obey. Let's look at it in the text again. Verse 19, Jesus says, "...go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So again, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, whenever you see the word therefore when you're reading the Bible, you should stop and ask what? What's it there for? Exactly. So the word therefore should point us back to what was just said, okay? Because that means that what was just said is the basis upon which this text rests. So Jesus has just said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, so we go and we make disciples because all authority has been given to Jesus. Let's let's break this down into two parts. First of all, all of Jesus' disciples are commanded to go. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. Uh, and all Christians are disciples. There's no such thing that's a, uh, of, as a Christian that's not a disciple. So a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus and learns from him. Somebody who does what Jesus did. And guess what Jesus did, among other things? He made disciples. So when we become Christians, we don't get to pick and choose which commands of Jesus we will follow. We don't get to opt out of the Great Commission. We can't pay professionals to do that for us. The very essence of being a Christian is to make disciples. When I mean, Jesus summarized the call to be a Christian when he called uh, Peter and Andrew in, in Matthew chapter 419, he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Like that, that's how Jesus summarizes a life of following him. Are you doing this? I want you to stop and really ask yourself and think, think about this question. How much effort do you put in to making disciples? When's the last time you called someone to turn and to trust in Jesus? This is the very essence of what discipleship is. It's what Christians do. I read a, I read a tragic story uh, on the news this week about 25 people who died on a diving excursion after the boat that they were on in the uh, Pacific Ocean caught fire and they were trapped below deck. Uh, And only the captain and four crew members were able to escape because they were above deck and they were able to jump off the boat into uh, a life raft and the people below deck were trapped and and couldn't escape. 
And um, the, the captain and the crew members that escaped, they're, they're being interviewed right now to see what, if anything, they did to attempt to rescue the people trapped below. Because in many places around the world, depending on what the maritime laws are in, in different uh, nations' waters, crew members can be criminally charged for not making an effort to save the passengers who are drowning or who are in peril. And as I thought about that story, it was hard not to think about our passage today and relate it to the current state of the church. I mean, is this not what we do when we remain silent as we we let another person go unwarned, as we let another person pass us by because we don't want to be embarrassed, we don't want to be ashamed, we don't want to be rejected, so we let them pass on in peril so that we can save ourselves. We leap off the boat and we just turn the other way so we don't have to watch. We're like cowardly crew members on a ship when we do that, choosing to save our own lives rather than laying our lives down to rescue the passengers we've been entrusted with. Are you going to the people that God has put in your life? Do your coworkers and your neighbors know this gospel? Does your family know Have you pleaded with them? This is not something we put to chance. This is not something that we say, I think they know. I think they understand. I know one time they went to church before. Do they know? Have you pled with them to trust in Jesus? Have you pled with them and reasoned with them in the scriptures and from the scriptures to turn and trust in Christ? Not only does Jesus want disciples to be made, but he wants disciples to be made from every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus wants us to make disciples of all nations. Uh, John Piper, who's a a pastor and a preacher, he was commenting on this passage, and he pointed out that when you really think about what Jesus is calling us to do here, it's pretty radical. When you think about this command, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is telling us to go tell all the religions of the world that he's the only way to God, that they are following the wrong path, and that the right path is to follow Jesus and Jesus alone that they must forsake their own false gods, they must forsake their own worldviews and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the one true God. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. That can get you into a lot of trouble in many parts of the world. It can even get you killed. It won't get you killed here, but it, it can definitely get you mocked, ridiculed, called a bigot, intolerant. So why do we do it? Because it's true. Because it's true that Jesus is actually the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Love compels us to go and tell people despite what it might cost us personally. I read this week that two billion people have never heard the gospel before. Billion. That's two billion humans made in God's image who don't know Him. Who worship false images and false distortions of who God is. Even many of our own neighbors, in fact, most of our own neighbors don't know or understand the gospel. We did evangelism yesterday. We were out at the farmer's market, and we were just out there meeting our neighbors, uh, doing surveys, and we got to have tons of gospel conversations. Um, And, you know, not a single person I talked to yesterday that I can remember understood and could articulate the gospel to me. Not one. And actually, I had four different people tell me 
This, so the second to last question on the survey was, who, who do you think Jesus Christ is? And then the, the last question after that was, uh, how, uh, what do you think will happen to you when you die? I had four different people tell me, oh, Jesus is my, my Savior. Jesus is the Son of God. And then when I got to the next question, okay, well, what's going to happen to you when you die? And they said, I'm going to go to heaven. How, how is that going to happen? Oh, you know, I just, I'm just trying to be a good person and do good works. They don't understand the gospel. We're surrounded by people that are lost. And many of them think that they're saved. Billions of people, some in Southeast Asia, some in South America, some in D.C. And God is worthy of the praise of every single one. So we plant churches so that they will know. Let's get real practical for a moment. And let's just talk about what this looks like. What does it look like for you to obey the Great Commission? Well, first it means being on mission in your own backyard. You've got to start where God has placed you. you know, one of the reasons that Christians, I, I've found, don't make disciples is that nobody's ever shown them how. So uh, a lot of times, I, I remember being frustrated early on after I became a Christian because I'd hear lots of sermons telling me I need to make disciples, I need to share the gospel, and I felt guilty about not doing it. I felt convicted, but I didn't have anybody to show me what to do. Nobody was modeling it for me. Nobody taught me how. That's not going to happen here at Pillar DC. If you don't share the gospel, if you don't make disciples, it's not going to be because we didn't give you opportunities to show you. I promise you we're going to equip you. If you want to be equipped, if you want to be on mission, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, I promise you we're going to give you all the tools that you need to do that. In fact, on September the 21st, we're going to have a gospel conversation training. It's on a Saturday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. We're going to feed you lunch. It's going to be practical, hands-on training they will give you the tools to have the confidence to make disciples. I know it's five hours, but I promise you it's, five, it's a five-hour investment that will be worthy of your time. It will pay dividends, not just in, for the rest of this life, but for eternity in the people's lives that you know. I mean, if one person comes to Jesus, was it worth it? It was worth it. So please, if you are, it's all possible, please plan on coming on September the 21st at 800 Main Avenue, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., let us equip you. And not only should we be on mission in our own backyard, but Jesus calls us to go to the nations. So that has implications for us as a church, like corporately, and also for each person in here individually. As a church, what that means is that we're going to send out church planters and missionaries across the DMV, across the United States, and around the world. We're affiliated and attached to two great church planting networks. The Praetorian Project, which seeks to plant churches near military communities around the world. And then the New City Network, which is laboring to plant churches all across the DMV and beginning to branch out from the DMV into other parts of the U.S. And as I said earlier, we've made it a focus of prayer to ask God to raise up a church planter and a team right here in this church to send out by October 2020. And church planting is something that we want you to participate in. We want 100% participation from every single person. And there are multiple ways you can do that. That doesn't mean that everybody's a church planter. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be on a church planting team. But you can participate. There's four different ways you can participate. Number one, you can plant. So God may be come, uh, calling you, and I've been praying for it, that he may be calling some of you to plant a church. If there is even a remote, if that's even a remote possibility in your mind, I want you to come and talk to me, all right? I want you to come and talk to me because 
I want to explore that call with you. And I want you to help, help you discover if God actually has placed that call on your life. And if he has, then we'll help you get there. Another way you can participate is pray. You know, we are going to model this by praying for a church plant every single morning in our service. But we want to do it throughout the week. So we want you to be praying for the other church planters in the Praetorian Project. Pray for the other church planters in the New City Network. We've got brothers laboring all over this city, planting churches. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ laboring all over the world, planting churches that we're connected with. So let's pray for them. Now the way you can get involved is to provide. So as a church, right now, 12% of our budget is set aside for church planting efforts. 12 cents out of every dollar is going towards Great Commission efforts. You can help churches be planted by, by giving towards the sending out of planters and missionaries. We're going to provide opportunities throughout the year to give above and beyond your tithe so that we can generously give towards establishing new churches. You can also participate. So maybe you're not a lead church planter, but maybe God's calling you to be a part of a church planting team and he's going to call you to go and help a team that's going to plant somewhere. Maybe it's temporarily a short term, short term, six month, or maybe he's going to call you to go and stay with that church planter and that church planting team. We want to send you out to do that because the Great Commission is bigger than Pillar DC. We are not here to build our kingdom. We're not here to build a massive church. We are here to build God's kingdom, which means that we're going to be open-handed with everything that we've got, with our money, with our people, with all of it. We're going to send out, and we're going to trust God to bring the resources in that we need. It's going to look different for each person, okay? Not everyone is a church planner. Not everyone's a rock star evangelist. I get that. But every Christian is called to make disciples. And I know this may seem like a daunting task, especially if you've never done it. I, I get it. Like some of you uh, are sitting in your seats right now and you're feeling a little bit tense because you're, you know that God wants you to do this, but you're nervous because you're afraid. And that's what makes this last point so sweet. That's what makes verse 20 so amazing. Last point is that Jesus gives us assurance. Jesus says in verse 20, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Never forget, church, that Jesus has given us an impossible command. He has tasked us with passing camels through the eyes of needles. We cannot make disciples on our own. We can't make disciples on our own. You know, the command to make disciples is really sandwiched between two incredible promises in this passage, if you look at how the passage is structured. And when you combine these two promises, it changes everything. So Jesus says, I am always with you. And this, this isn't the pale Jesus with the flowing hair and the blue eyes holding a baby lamb that maybe you've seen in the pictures. This is the Jesus who just said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the Jesus who is always with you. This is the King of Kings who chose you to be his disciples so that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide. There's a passage in Acts chapter 18 that captures what it means to have the king with all authority always with you on mission better than any other that I've found. It's, uh, so uh, during, during Paul's second of his three missionary journeys, uh, he arrived at a, a place called Corinth. And Corinth was a hard mission field. There were idols everywhere and there were many people who were hostile to the gospel. He was, he was facing opposition 
He had already faced a lot of it. So one night, God reassured him. Listen to Acts chapter 18, verses 9 to 11. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Don't forget that by this time, this is towards the latter half of Paul's second missionary journey. By this time, Paul has already been beaten with rods. He's been whipped with the tail of uh, with the cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, multiple times. He's been thrown in prison. He's been stoned. Paul has endured tremendous amounts of sufferings. He has been attacked multiple times. And yet, for whatever reason, God knew that what Paul needed during this particular time was he just needed to be reassured that tonight he was safe. Tonight, nobody was going to come to stone him. Tonight, nobody was going to throw him in jail. I don't know what was going on in Paul's heart during that time, but the Lord knew that Paul needed to be reassured during that time. Even though Paul is going to suffer more, he's going to be beaten again, He's ultimately going to be martyred for his faith. And God is going to supply him with every ounce of strength that he needs. He will give him the grace he needs during the moment. But in that moment, Jesus knew exactly what he needed. And he reassured Paul, I am with you always. I haven't left, I never have, and I never will. Keep on preaching because there are people in this city who belong to me, God says. This could be a sermon in and of itself. Because it stretches the mind that God, according to His purpose, has graciously chosen to set apart sinners for Himself who aren't even looking for Him. They are lost in spiritual darkness, but He will save them, and it will be 100% by grace. If you are a Christian, did you know that that's the reason why you're a Christian? Only because of the grace of God. Only because He chose you from before the foundations of the earth, that you should be holy and blameless before him. And this reality, guys, changes everything about evangelism when you think about it. I want to read you a quote by Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from the 1800s, and he kind of, he comments on this passage. Here's what he says. He says, this should be a great encouragement in proclaiming the gospel, since among the people in our communities, the disinterested, the rebellious, the careless, God has an elect people who must be saved. When you take the word to them, you do so because God has ordained you to be the messenger of life to their souls, and they must receive it, for so the decree of predestination runs. If Jesus Christ purchased them, he will have them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Every time someone believes the gospel, it's a miracle. And that miracle is brought about as we share the gospel out loud with people. God knows those who are His. It's not our job to figure that out. It's simply our job to invite everyone to trust in Jesus. So we plant churches because Jesus has sheep who are not in His fold yet, and He must bring them in also. And the job doesn't just stop once someone is saved and baptized, because Jesus calls us to teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So we live together in community, in a local church, helping one another to grow in Christ's likeness so that we can be a light in the darkness. Now maybe 
you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you're like some of those people that I talked about earlier that I spoke with at the farmer's market, and you've always identified as a Christian your whole life. And you would say, if you were to be asked, oh yeah, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus is my Lord. But your entire life, you've, you've thought that I've got to be good enough to go to heaven. I've just got to be a good person. And I'm pretty sure that if I just do, if I'm good enough, that God will probably let me into heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is so much better than that. Because <laughs> that puts the onus on you. There's no assurance in that. It's, it's up in the air. You never know if you've done enough. The gospel says, no, you don't do anything. Jesus did it all for you. Jesus took all of your sin on the cross. Jesus draws you all by himself. There's not one ounce of you that reaches out for Jesus. He opens your eyes supernaturally. He calls you out like he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And you have spiritual life and you can see. If that's happening in you right now, if you are understanding the gospel for the first time, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Right there in your seat. There's no magic prayer. There's no special words you have to say. You just ask Him. Jesus, I confess my sin. I know I need you and you alone. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Please come into my life. Please make me a new person. I don't want to be this person anymore. Change me. You do that right now, you'll be a new creation. It's a free gift. That's the gospel. That's good news. That's what we're here to proclaim to people. I would encourage you to do that. At, at, during the closing song, in just a little bit, after we sign the covenant, there's going to be people standing at the back. Come and talk to us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, to help you and talk with you more about this. And many of you here know you need to just stop saying you're a disciple of Jesus and you need to start being a disciple of Jesus. We'd love to help you do that too. We would love to disciple you and help you start making disciples. You don't have to walk and try to do this following Jesus thing alone. We're not meant to do it alone. We're meant to do it in community. That's why we're about to covenant together as a church. Because we're taking responsibility for one another. We're keeping one another. We're holding each other accountable. We're submitting ourselves underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And underneath the care of elders that are about to be installed. That is a good, biblical, godly thing that God wants you to do. You can fill out an info card if you're ready to be discipled and to make disciples and you say, yeah, I, I want to stop saying I'm a disciple. I want to be a disciple. Put that on your info card and put it on the back. In the back there, you can mark that you're interested in discipleship and we'll reach out to you this week. We'd love to get started in helping you do that. So this morning is unique. Uh, this morning, as I said, we're covenanting together as a church for the first time. So that means that this group of believers has made a decision to commit our lives to God and to one another, and to become a local church together. In a few minutes, we're going to read the covenant that we are making with each other. It's the promise that we are making before God and before one another. We do this because we weren't called to follow Jesus alone. All throughout the book of Acts, as God's people made disciples in new places, then those disciples were gathered into community, into fellowship, which are called local churches. That's what's happening here today. So church membership is important because you're saying, these are my brothers and sisters and I'm committing to them. I'm submitting to accountability. I'm committing to use my gifts to serve the church. 
I'm committing to help the church further her mission to make disciples in every way. Church membership is biblical and it's good. And in fact, being a Christian really doesn't make any sense if you're not actually connected to the body of Christ. You won't last long being a Christian, being disconnected from the body of Christ because the Bible calls us a body. Each of us are members. What happens to a member, a part, a body part when it's separated from the body? It doesn't live. We can't live spiritually if we're not connected to the body. So maybe you're new here and uh, you are welcome here. We're glad you are here. We'd love to talk to you about becoming a part of this church family and, and we'd love for you to come and talk to us about that. But uh, I'm going to ask Thomas and Orion to come up. Uh, so the people who are going to be coming and, and covenanting to the, uh, uh, this morning uh, as the, the founding uh, members of uh, this church are going to be the people who have already uh, met with us. Either you were on the vision team or you've met with us and we've done the membership interview and you've already agreed and signed that membership covenant. So if that's you, then in a moment I'm going to ask you to come up and there's uh, the, the covenant is right here and we're going to ask you to sign that and then just uh, go back to your seats. Uh, and Orion is going to read the, the membership covenant aloud. Uh, and then after Orion's done, I'll, I'll call you guys forward. Uh, you're, I'm going to ask you guys to come around this way. So my right, your left. So if you are uh, one of those who's going to be signing the covenant this morning, please come around that way uh, after Orion is done reading the covenant.